Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamega.com. I'm JP. As always with me is my fearless co-host, Marcus. They call me Mr. Pig. And today we are talking about the Samurai Boy, or I guess it's just Samurai Boy. I don't think there's the... the yeah, well, the website We're is. not a popular band from the 90s right now. <laughs> we're just the Samurai Boy. So for those of you that would like to follow along, we are reading from thesamuraiboy.com. The comic is Samurai Boy by Dan Eros. Let's go ahead and get into a little bit of the info of the story here. The only son of a brave samurai warrior, Hiko Koikojima, is the main hero of our brand new webcomic, The Samurai Boy. Oh, it is The Samurai Boy. It ha! is. Oh, we are a trendy 90s band. <laughs> Arriving in a country far away from his native land, Hiko's father, Hajime Koikojima, has to raise him surrounded by a new culture, yet keeping up with his values and beliefs. In the meantime, even a boy has to face challenges, enemies, and adventures. Good thing Hiko can make some friends along the way, such as the cute jaguar cub, Kitty Dotspotted. That's the name? I just thought it was Kitty. <laughs> no, it's Kitty Dotspotted. Not a last name. <laughs> that Kitty's going to get some junk mail. And... <laughs> so even though it doesn't specifically say, I'm getting, I have the feeling that it's Brazil that they moved to. Because the website is also available in Portuguese. There's a lot of mentions to things like that are Brazilian, like capoeira, the, you know, dancing, fighting, martial art, right? Interesting. Okay, yeah. So I was like, they moved to a place with trees. That's what I got out of it. Like, Good <laughs> yeah, thing. yeah. They, they went, be, they went somewhere away. Yeah, it's not really clear. I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess it's obvious that you know anybody that knows Dan, it would be that. But you know, it gets pretty clear if you read some of the blog post information beneath a couple of the scripts that it's taking place in Brazil and the dance from Brazil and that kind of stuff. It's it's clear if you're smart enough to know any sort of geography, unlike me, where I'm like, did it take place in Ohio? Because I know about that place. And they have trees and they have grass, trees there. And grass yeah. there. That's that's where. Do they have there. jaguars though? Ohio like and local gra- Indian people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the local tribes of, of Ohio. Yeah, they're fierce people. <laughs> they have to plow their own snow. Oh, I mean, that, that's on. that that is pretty fierce, especially if you're using in your, spears in, in your loincloth with your spear. You exactly. must plow must plow the snow. All right, so as we always do, we'll go ahead and start with the story. So, Marcus, what do you think of the story, man? You know, comic strips don't necessarily have to have an ongoing plot. It's kind of like the, the gag of the week thing with uh, with comic strips a lot of the time. But this one, uh, I found near the the later strips that went out, actually started to have a, a continuity with uh, the antagonist character. And they even introduced like a mystery antagonist character that i was right like, oh, yeah wow, well, it seems kind of like they're you know some of the problems that his father had in japan are following them exactly Brazil. and it was strange to me because the very very first strip starts off with this like really intense like his family his wife was, was murdered killed, and he moves and it, to a new land exactly i was his like son it's so like this, this is gonna be dark all right let's go all right and the next thing you know it's like calvin and hobbes in brazil exactly exactly <laughs> i gotta had a very very calvin and hobbes feel to it which i can appreciate because calvin and hobbes is amazing totally totally so, I mean, it had a lull, I feel like, in the, the first quarter of the trips where it was just like, we're establishing that this is a funny, joke, cutesy yeah. type uh, comic strip. But then it started picking up. It introduced more characters. And all of a sudden, there's a bad guy and a bad guy that has kind of thugs. And it got real. I was like, okay, here we go. You yeah, know? yeah. And then, the, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's especially, I mean, it seems like Inch, the redheaded fat kid who's just a really sort of the, the jerk is called Inch because his temper fuse is only an inch long. Right? It runs out really quick. But That's always what he says. That's what he says anyway. <laughs> uh, so Inch, who's angry for some reason, he seems to be sort of the antagonist pretty early on. But then later on you see that there's 
a little bit more serious antagonists going on, some potentially some ninjas that have followed them from Japan. It has to do with his past. Yeah, well, it has to do with his father's past, which, of course, he's not really privy to all the details of. Exactly. But I mean, like, if he... His father instantly recognizes, like, oh, they were in a purple dogie, which is like, you know, a uniform, right? And so they're like, oh, and then his dad's like, purple dogie, gung, gung, gung. Exactly. You know, it's like, what is happening? Isn't it a good thing that, like, the only uh, group of ninjas that ever killed his mother were purple? And so he's like, good, we can recognize him by that color. <laughs> it's like, they're the only ones that wear a purple dogie. That, that's, it's safe to say that, you know, if we ever see somebody with a purple dogie, you can, you can kick them in the butt because they were bad. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that it was interesting to have very distinctly Japanese characters with Japanese culture. Just I mean, the story is steeped with martial arts and Japanese culture and philosophy. Taking place somewhere that's definitely not at all Japan. You know, and has, you know, its its own culture to bring to it, which I thought was really interesting. Sometimes when we're reading a comic that is from a, a foreign place, you know, obviously we're from America, California. And so at times I wonder if there's going to be some things that are lost on me, lost in translation culturally, even if it's going to be in English. And so that was something that I was a little concerned about because it's something that I've come across. Sometimes when you go to a webcomic that is available in multiple different languages, or even something that's just from Canada. Sometimes it's like the humor is really different. And so you catch, I mean, really, we've, I've read webcomics from Canada, and they'll be like this really weird sort of hit and miss where it's like really funny, and then they'll do something that is clearly supposed to be funny that doesn't make sense at all to me. Yeah. And it's just like the way that humor works is different culturally, I guess. Anyway, so when it's coming from a place that's really dramatically different than California, I was concerned a little bit that I was going to, you know, not appreciate everything that it had to offer. But by and large, I really felt like I did appreciate what was going on there. Although I would have to say that that definitely comes from me having, you know, a lifetime of martial arts experience training ever since I was a little kid. And, you know, that was probably one of the things I enjoyed the most about this is that it really felt like... Dan has some experience with martial arts because talking about different concepts and then even just having knowledge of what it's like to be a young kid who's into martial arts, fiddling around with your practice sword in the backyard and, you know, practicing and training and, you know, just messing around with your friends and trying to cut stuff. And, you know, like these are things that happen when you're just like a martial arts geek growing up. <laughs> this is the sort of stuff that you get into. It's, have, you know, you, and, have you ever splattered a banana all over your face? No, but actually at Halloween, we would buy some pumpkins and set up like a chopping block and our friend that's actually like a swords practitioner sword arts practitioner he would set up the chopping block and then sort of teach everybody how to do it and he'd bring a live sword and you know kind of very carefully teach people to chop the pumpkin it wouldn't always work real well <laughs> live sword sounds so dangerous <laughs> they are really dangerous so i mean like i know the term like i, I think live and i think in terms of like uh, i don't know I, I could i could hear myself saying like that gun is live but I would never think to use the term live with a sword. But now that you put it together, I'm like, wow. Well, it's like they call I'm it afraid like a live of live blade. swords. Yeah. Dead swords. <laughs> Come on. I don't but, know. That almost sounds more scary. A bringing sword? the dead sword. A sword that cuts you and you turn into a zombie. Uh, okay, so, Dan, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but JP is a big fan of Japan and all things Japan. So I feel like going into this, you probably had some expectations maybe. What do you think? When you read the comic, were you like, okay, yeah, that's accurate. I like that. Like, the stuff that he used. Yeah, by and large, it was actually pretty accurate. You know, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head that I heard and was like, no, that's really just not right. That's not the way the culture works, or that's not the right word, or anything like that. You know, it really did seem like Dan had a really good grip on all that. Actually, one of the notes that I have here is that I was really impressed that when he would use Japanese terms, he would have them in what's called romanji, which is the 
you know, writing Japanese, yeah. sort of sounding it out yeah, in, totally. the, in, you know, in English letters. But he would have it, he would have it bold, and then below, like with a bold with a little asterisk next to it, and then you know, like a little footnote beneath it that actually had the kana, which is like this like phonetic spelling. Because in Japanese, you have two. Well, you have it's it's more complicated than this, but I'm basically going to break it down to this. You have kanji, which are basically one symbol for a word or a concept, right? And then you have kana, and there's hiragana and katakana, um, each of which are used for different things. Japanese words, like native Japanese words, use hiragana, and foreign words are typically used katakana. And so there wasn't any kanji, by and large. It was mostly just kana, but, you know, so that's what you would use to spell things out, and that's what people used to learn how to write Japanese sort of on an early level. But it was great because then you actually get to see some Japanese script, which is beautiful, and, you know, know that this word looks like this, or it can look like this. It could definitely be simplified and put into a one symbol instead of multiple. But it was cool, and you know, and then also had sort of like the pronunciation and the explanation of it beneath. And so it was neat. It was like there's a little respect there for the culture and a little willingness to put some exposition in there for people that don't know it but would be curious. And I think that a lot of the time comics that are focusing on a Japanese theme or are very much inspired by Japanese culture, comics, manga, anime, whatever, there's often sort of an expectation that the readership is going to be sort of a Japanophile and be familiar in some ways. One of the terms you, you hear kind of kicked around a lot is baka, which means idiot. You know, it's used sort of a lot. It's really kind of popular, and there's websites that use it as like a, you know, part of their name, and it's just kind of like a big thing in like the Japanese anime and comics sort of culture. And I was sort of glad not to see that. I was sort of dreading it, <laughs> you know, because it's just a little, it's a, it's a little bit sort of too much, you know, at this point. I don't know. I grew up really being a huge fan of Japanese comics and anime. And when you do that and then sort of grow out of that and beyond that and to appreciate, you know, that there's more to Japanese culture than just the comics and the, and the cartoons, you know, and that it's a really amazing, rich culture with interesting history. And then you look back and you see people that are like just geeking out about just the comics and the cartoons. And it's kind of like, ah. You know, I like Japanese stuff, but I'm not like them, <laughs> you know. Um, and so anyway, uh, I don't know where where I went with that. But, you know, by and large, it was really cool to see that there was not some kind of uh, expectation that you're just going to kind of know it because it's out in mm -hmm. sort of the, the cultural ether. But that it's like, no, I'm going to use some terms that, yeah, if you have watched a lot of Japanese cartoons or read a lot of Japanese comics, especially watched anime in ja in Japanese, you're going to recognize some of the terms that he uses because they're pretty much very familiar terms. Like the kind of thing you'd say when you're leaving or coming home and the sort of thing people would say, you know, greetings and that kind of stuff. So it's very simple, very regular, you know, sort of daily use Japanese stuff. But even still, he takes the time to actually explain it, put down the hiragana, little translation. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I if I had to classify myself, the level I would be on would be like ultimate Baka Supreme, because I don't know anything about anything. I can't even change the oil in my car. Uh, but I feel like even the footnotes that he gave, though, like he puts the terms that I I didn't know anything about in the in context well enough that I was like, yeah, I got that. That is his uniform. I didn't need to know that. He he made it like part of the vocabulary. And so if I didn't know something, oh my god, I learned something. Dan, you taught me something. You're educating me. I just realized that now. Oh, my brain's getting bigger and it hurts. Okay, so... Marcus hates it when you teach I things. hate it when I learn things. It's the worst. Damn it. I only have so many rooms in my head for phone numbers that I can't forget. <laughs> um, but when you did put those things in there, the little asterisks, um, it was really cool. I really appreciated that you had it. And uh, remind me again what it's called. Kana. Kana. Okay, Kana is the writing, Baka is me. Okay, sure. Let's go. For, let's continue. Um, 
story-wise, I feel like you're solid. You know, you kind of followed a Jeff Smith's Bone timeline, in, in my head at least, because my interpretation of Bone is it's very cute. I mean, I remember reading Bone when it was in uh, Disney Adventures magazine, wow. and they would have like one little strip at a time. And for the most part, it was just like a little cute gag here. And then at the end, it gets really epic. And I feel like that's what you're, that's, <laughs> I changed all of a sudden. I'm saying, I'm talking to you, Dan, directly. I hope you're listening to this. Otherwise, I just sound foolish. But I feel like that's what you're doing with the story. You have a lot of the cutesy gags in there, but you're changing directions now with introducing this mysterious antagonist. Yeah, it seems like the comic is kind of growing up a little bit. I don't want to get too much into the art yet, but like the design for the mysterious antagonist is awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how dark you're going to get when like the kid realizes that the purple clan is responsible for the death of his mother. Yeah. Like, the ninjas that are, you know, stealing his friends and causing trouble towards the end of the first, the first chapter of the story. You know, like this have can, connection very likely with, you know, how his mom died and why they had to leave his homeland and stuff. Exactly. I mean, it could get heavy. It's interesting because. If you read the blog post on the last page, he actually says, you know, he will return and he's going to be a little older, you know, a little stronger, you know. So it's it's definitely going to shift a little bit from this, you know, kids in the neighborhood hanging out with each other, walking around and, you know, in the suburbs kind of sort of attitude. You know, it reminds me a little bit of like an Ed, Ed and Eddie kind of a feel where mm -hmm. they're just kind of running into neighborhood kids and hanging out and talking. And he said, she said, I like her, but she doesn't like me and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was really fun and familiar and relatable because, you know, kids, well, I don't know so much anymore, but I can remember growing up in a neighborhood and being familiar with a lot of the neighborhood kids. And we were all out skating or riding our bicycle or playing in the front yard or going to the park and we just kind of knew each other and we would see each other and it was just sort of like the playground of life you know where you know very much playground sort of activities going on just on the streets you know in your suburbs or in my case laying on the ground eating pizza <laughs> that's what i did <laughs> <laughs> so i i really enjoyed that feel and I, I i think that it's pretty cool that you so effectively create believable and sort of even playful, endearing relationships between the characters. You know, he does a really good job of introducing Kitty right away. Mm -hmm. And then within the first few pages of them being together, they start to be sort of playful and have, be friends and be messing with each other, but it all be in good fun. Right away, you get a feeling of their relationship and that they're friends and that they're going to go through some stuff together. And then starting to introduce the other characters that you know, have very distinctive cultures, you know, and I think it's cool. You've got the young Indian girl, Zalua, who's a member of the Mani Mame tribe. And, you know, she's like a badass, like fearless warrior type who's a hunter, uses bow and a spear and stuff and, and becomes the object of, of Hiko's desire, <laughs> you know, romantically. And then his other friend, uh, Zumbi, who's a little black kid, dreadlocks, always in capoeira outfit, which is what that is. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but that's the little belt and the white yeah, pants. Yeah, capoeira, totally. Yeah, I was there with that. <laughs> Definitely. I was like, that's capoeira right there. Are you familiar with that fighting system? Um, You've probably seen stuff. It's like, it's, a, it's like a dancing sort of based martial art. Very effective martial art, really. When they practice, there's, they practice in what's called a roda, which is like a big circle. And everybody's sort of like around it's kind of like a drum circle hangout mm -hmm. and they're jamming they've got a bunch of different like traditional instruments and 
everybody's clapping and singing and then they sort of very organically uh, you know two people will will kind of peel off from the from this the ring and start fighting with each other but it's all very fluid it's very cool if you haven't seen it i'll pull up a video on youtube or something. i gotta imagine it looks like a dance-off and i get really excited about that <laughs> i'm just thinking like two it's really Go- badass really yeah. is really badass i'm thinking about two eddie gordos from tekken going at it that's it that's eddie gordo yeah that's his style okay okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. what was it called again capoeira Kappa, what is it what's called, John? Don't ask me. I'm tired of answering it. <laughs> but it's cool because even though we're introducing new kids and they sort of fill the gap of, like, another friend, a confidant, a love interest, you know, bullies and all that kind of stuff, like, Dan manages to put a lot of different types of people in there with, you know, different cultures. Like, even Kitty, his parents, there's two two uh, female jaguars that are both his moms and they have some conversations about like is it weird that i have two moms and stuff and so there's even sort of addressing some like alternate alternative yeah. lifestyle stuff i like was like wow we're getting kind of deep here yeah that's, it's really cool you know it's it interesting really that you can to be plug all it into like a that, comedic yeah. comic strip i actually really really enjoyed um when i can relate to anything i'm like yeah that's the best <laughs> and so because i've read if you haven't read um scott mcleod's understanding or making comics excellent excellent books for anyone who wants to you know start making their own comics or understanding comics. Yeah, really, it's as required. Title should be required reading. Suggests he talks about making your characters all you know the very own individuals and a method that he used or the, you know some of the methods that he uses. He he finds themes for them. So like he would have characters in one story based on elements. So one person would be earth, one person would be wind, one person would be fire, and then their behaviors are corresponding to that. Yeah. Um, or emotions. One person would be anger. One person would be sorrow. One person would be joy. And I felt like in this, like the character models were so like just on it. Like yeah. I knew from the very beginning that Kitty was the comic relief. Kitty was the funny one, was mm-hmm. the gag. And, you know, the jokes just kept coming from that direction. The straight man is the protagonist, uh, Samurai yeah. Boy. Mm-hmm. And um, which <laughs> awesome hair, by the way. I think I can actually pull that off. <laughs> he yeah, he go, he goes a great little character. The the girl that he's interested in is, you know, she's all about she's fierce. She's, she's, she's fierce. angry. She's fiery, and that's you know? that's her character. And like yeah. it, everything just made sense. Like it just fit like puzzle pieces Very into quickly, the mold. You, it doesn't take long after meeting the characters for you to feel like you know them. Exactly. You know, or at least, you know, not know all the details about them, but kind of get a feel for who they are as people, uh, which was really cool, I think. I'm excited. I didn't actually read the blog part underneath where he said they're going to get a little older next time. Yeah. But I mean, establishing who they are now. And concreting them and like having the joyous moments, you know, like you're kind of inviting, you're kind of, you are inviting everybody into this world of yours and you're getting them to like your characters, you're getting them to know your characters, to know what they're like when they're kids. And now if you're going to expand upon it when they're older, if anything happens to any of the characters, it's going to be tragic. Yeah. You're making for really excellent storytelling. Very compelling. It's going to be very compelling. I always enjoy seeing characters grow, mm -hmm. like actually grow up, mature. It gets neat to have. A story like Dragon Balls, one of the probably most prolific examples, is that you've got Goku as a young kid and a big, huge adventure. Akira Toriyama, who created Dragon Ball, could have very easily just stopped it there after all that. But like towards the end of Dragon Ball, Goku grows up and comes back for the final Tenkaichi Budokai tournament, right? Mm-hmm. And then after that, on to Dragon Ball Z, right? And actually, GT, if you didn't know this, was not actually ever written as comics. Like, that's all just... Anime. I think I might have known that. Right. But, because but so, of you. <laughs> but there's so, but, but it's so cool to see characters from when they were young and have it be a long, robust, and interesting story where you get attached to them and you learn who they are and, you know, get to know their faults and their strong points and see them go through character development and then 
skip ahead a little bit and now they're older and you know on to bigger better things but at the same time they're still that person that you knew and there's that history that you share with them even though you're just the reader it's really cool i'm really looking forward to to what comes next the foundation is extremely solid at this point totally i don't have a whole lot of negative if any to say i mean i think there's like one strip where i didn't get the joke but that could be because i'm just master supreme baka it could also very much be just a cultural thing you know yeah it's very possible and to be fair, there was some pretty, pretty like martial arts specific humor where you may not really appreciate it. Like one of the ones that had me in stitches was when right in the beginning, when he's practicing with his sword before he breaks it. And he's ha, 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 and attacking just the air and doing like shadow boxing training. And then Kitty walks up and he's like, what are you laughing about? <laughs> and it's just like, that is so great. That, that's such like a great like martial arts humor, you yeah. know, which is so rare. I think I've only ever heard of one martial arts joke in my life, and I'll share it with you now. I'm ready. Let's do it. How many Aikido masters does it take to change a light bulb? How many? Only one, but the light bulb has to attack first. Very nice. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's like if you're not familiar with Aikido, you're like, what? <laughs> you know? that's, that's good. I like that. Yeah. So, But it's just neat because it's such a rare breed of, of humor. But Dan hits it right on the head, and it's so relatable. Like, I'm going to recommend this to some of my martial arts friends. They're going to get a kick out of this, I think. You know, some of the stuff that he gets into and just being excited about having the bigger, better, cooler weapon. Because, you know, as you're training, especially with weaponry, there's, like, multiple different levels. You know, mm -hmm. you've got, you, you know, as a little kid, you're going to be swinging a stick around. And he ends up getting to a place where he's doing that, right? But then you've got your shinai, your bamboo flexible sword for practice and sparring then you've got your boken like the actual wooden sword that's more for practicing kata and strengthening and things like that you probably wouldn't be wise to spar with somebody with because you could really hurt them although some people do unfortunately and and you know but then on top of that you've got like the actual live sword yeah you know and the so it's live just sword. and he's like so interested he's like oh i want to have a sword you know it's so ah, you know and then and then like he can't even pick it up because you know i don't know if you ever actually picked up like a real full-size samurai sword it's heavy like can't really say damn now. heavy. It's <laughs> surprisingly heavy because when you see it in, in movies and cartoons and stuff and they're swinging them around like it's no big deal. It's like it's heavy, man. It's like it's a whole big giant chunk of metal, like feet and feet of metal. What would you do if Dan just took a complete left turn and, and one episode, Hiko takes his dad's sword and accidentally kills one of the other little kids? And like, would you, would you keep reading at that point? Would you be like, this is definitely weird, but I, I would keep totally going. keep reading. I'd be like, what? Oh, God. And then like the police are after him and has to hide in alleyways and go hide with the uh, hide with his friends in the tribe <laughs> and then he gets mark marlar involved and they start working together on the sequel that'd be crazy man samurai boy 2 <laughs> the jim carrey protests online i think that i guess my final thought for the storyline and the characters is that beyond it just being really funny and beyond it tapping into some fun martial arts stuff like there's actually some really good sort of like life lesson, martial arts, morality stuff in here as well. One of the strips that really stands out is Hiko and his father are training, and Hiko's being impatient, which is a way major common problem for martial arts students. And especially in the beginning, before they get a sense as to how long it takes, and that the, the fact that it takes so long is part of the reason why it has value. But uh, he's asking his dad... Well, I'm kind of in a hurry here. Can't you just teach me something faster to, to defeat him? Like some ultimate supreme technique of yours? And this dad bonks him on the head and says, there is no easy way, just the right way. Very nice. And it's just like, I love it. That's yeah. so good. It's so true. It's so true. And so, like, again, that's why I say that it really feels like Dan has some actual martial arts training. Because there's no way that he would 
I mean, I guess you could kind of glean it from, you know, seeing martial arts movies and reading martial arts philosophy books and stuff. But like, there's a, there's a definitely an understanding of of the the kind of the heart of a martial artist here. So it's pretty cool. I really it definitely like seems like he did more than just watch Bloodsport and started writing a comic. <laughs> so it's just it's so important because so much of the time martial arts is used in in fiction and media and is so misrepresented. So many like I can't watch. Let me rephrase that. Growing up, I watched lots of kung fu movies and lots of karate movies and all that sort of stuff. But once I started to get more advanced in my training, once I started to teach and realize that you know the way that you hold yourself and express concepts are being absorbed by young minds, which is a huge responsibility. After that, I started to watch those movies and not be able to enjoy them as much because I found myself feeling so, so at odds with the motivations of the character. You know, so many of the stories are about revenge and like, oh, you killed my master, I'll kill you. Or I'm going to, you know, that, that this, the revenge theme, the anger theme, the compet competition crap is so out of alignment with martial arts tradition and martial arts, well, not so much tradition, there's a long history of a lot of that, unfortunately, but with martial arts philosophy, you know, real good martial arts philosophy. There's really only a handful of movies that really reinforce that well. And so it's, uh, it's so nice for Samurai Boy being about Japanese culture and, and martial arts and swordplay that there is definitely some strips that really do enforce not just, hey, we're trying to be funny, but actually like have something to say. Exactly. Yeah, which is really cool. I can totally relate to that. I mean, I, I watch movies sometimes where people are like eating pizza and I'm like, I've been eating pizza for a long time and they're doing that all wrong. <laughs> like, come on guys, do your research first a little bit. Uh, have you, is it just, is it just me or have you always wanted to have pizza that acted like it did in the eighties turtles show? Exactly. Like it was like all kind of liquidy and like, I can super taste stringy. that pizza through the screen. It's, I want it to know. It looks exactly like that. And like pizza is not like that. I, I will I want to try pizza that is the like end that. Of my amazing. Days. You know, it's like, it's like, I don't know, almost drippy, but not wet somehow. Like mm -hmm. it, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find it. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Well, we've, uh, we've gone a long time without taking a break. So why don't we go ahead and take a quick break. When we get back, we'll go ahead and talk about The Art of the Samurai Boy by Dan Eros. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us. back to geek life we're talking about samurai boy we're moving on to the art so what did you think about the artwork of samurai boy well i thought that right away it was very pleasant to look at mm -hmm. you know, uh, sometimes art can be intense sometimes art can be stark and striking uh, you know not long ago we reviewed uh, sailor moore which was very striking and very mm -hmm. intense mm -hmm. you know but this is so pleasant and that's not to say that it's 
I guess Pleasant's kind of a loaded term because Pleasant sounds like Pleasantville, la, like there's not a lot going on there, but it's extremely clean and has a very sort of gentle look, maybe, is probably the better way to put it. You know, it's a lot of pastels, you know, kind of, and, and like the choice to, one of the things that I like a lot about it, which I think adds to that, is the choice to not use black for the for the lines, for the for the line art, but to actually use like a darker color of the, you know, of the image itself. So, you know, his skin is kind of peach colored or wheat colored. And so he's got a darker version of that. You know, the, the trees are brown, but it's even like darker brown for the for the for the line art for the trees, everything like that. And it's really something that I think looks really nice and has a good feel to it. I'm going to bust out my catchphrase. I did not catch that, but that's really cool. No, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, it makes it more realistic because in real life, there's no there's no black lines around everything. Yeah. Um, and even though it was a cartoony. It's still a solid technique to use. I totally. see it all over the place. Like I, I, I browse DeviantArt.com a lot, and it's a really, really solid technique to use. Yeah, it um, looks really good. It's really, it's just so clean, mm -hmm. and it definitely looks like it was done in Illustrator or something like that. You know, there's definitely has that. It definitely has that vector art feel. Yeah, where the circles are perfect, the angles and the edges are perfect. You know, the the geometric shapes are perfect. There's there's no slight variation that you get with hand drawing lines and by hand drawing lines i mean not necessarily the medium that you're using whether you're using a wacom tablet or whether you're using pen and pencil and scanning it in but when you draw with your hand instead of create a circle mm -hmm. you know or create a circle and have a program that like makes the circle perfect or yeah, something marquee, the marquee tool to make the circle the yeah circle. well i mean basically with vector you've got you know pathways that define the line, and then you can go in with the tool and actually kind of pull the boxes around and get it just right. Oh, John, I've learned enough today already through the comic book. I can't take my art more in. <laughs> well, so, you know, that being said, one of the things that I got into this and I saw that right away and I was like, oh, this looks like vector art. And <laughs> Joe Edens is going to kill me if he listens to this. Um, he, uh, he does rabid force, but uh, among other things, but uh, he's a vector artist and we had a little bit of a conversation and are planning a actual interview to talk about vector art. But my instinct is to be a little dismissive of vector art because there's still part of me that appreciates and desires and respects the boldness and fearlessness that one has to have to be able to draw by hand. You know, for example, Marcus has been partaking in a group on Facebook that does a sketch a day and Marcus has been doing them all in ink. No yeah. pencil, no no blue pen, no nothing. It's an adventure. <laughs> it's an adventure. Yeah, and but but the pictures look good. Could they be a little tighter probably if you labored over them more, but by and large they look really good. And it's so much more impressive to know that you're like, "Okay, I've got a pen, paper, let's do this." Yeah. Like yeah. that takes big you know, like big brass balls, Oh shucks. you know, and so, you know, and there's, there's things that we do as artists to, to sort of, you know, bridge that gap and make it a smoother transition where, you know, you do your underlines and things like that. And then you go over and kind of trace your lines with ink. That's the normal process, which <laughs> is one of the reasons why it's so insane that yeah. you're just going in and doing, you know, inks, which is scary. But the thing of it is, is that with the prolific use these days of computer tools that expedite things and assist us with processes that are typically very challenging to do in a traditional manner, there's always that question of, does it depreciate its value by using these tools? And the question is, could you do it without these tools? And I've always felt like I don't want to do something that I couldn't do without those tools. Mm -hmm. It's fine to use those tools to make it less expensive, 
a faster workflow. You know, everything in art is do it now, do it quickly, do it yesterday, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, there's always deadlines, there's always pressure. So professionally, it makes sense to do things that speed things up and take less resources financially and otherwise. And so that's fine. But I know that whenever I look at something and think to myself, you know, oh, that's a really cool tool, but could I replicate that in any way without the, that tool? Mm-hmm. And if the, if the answer is like a complete and serious no, like I have a problem with using that tool for me. Like I'd like to know what it's like to put tones down before I actually start selecting with a marquee tool and hitting fill. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there's a big difference there. Even if you don't get really good at it, there's just something about having the experience and doing that. And so I really respect the, you know, the traditional art, the, the, the analog art as it's come to, come to be called these days, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but whatever. <laughs> you know, every time things really rely on digital stuff and digital techniques and, and tools, I always ask that question internally, whether, you know, not on purpose even really. It's just kind of like, is this, you know, is this really impressive or is this just a result of, you know, someone taking advantage of powerful computer tools? And this comic has really rearranged my opinion on vector art because this is really well made with really, really strong design elements and, you know, complex characters, characters that if you were to see their silhouette, you would immediately know who they are. You know, like really strong character designs, really interesting character designs. Like the background designs are clean. You know, the action feels there's strong motion. There's mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. use of action lines that's, that are subtle. And I mean, now there's I have a note that I like to talk about that later. But just first of all, I just really like have a new appreciation for vector art. I really do ba- because of this comic. That's good. I mean, I feel like in my imagination, at one point, the only digital art that was out there was people making just trying to be lazy and trying to do it the fast way and so it was all bad and i think the result of that could have been that a lot of people were calling themselves purists and being very uppity and um yeah this is pretentious a factor about, like, for sure oh yeah you know we're better because we do it all on paper the original way and we sit in our starbucks and drink cappuccinos while we draw our, our, our comics <laughs> um but i feel like that's not necessarily the case anymore. I mean, like Dan shows that you can do completely digital if it is completely digital, because I can actually, I can actually imagine that he drew this first oh, and then went over it digitally. Oh, sure. I don't think that's the case, well, but I, mean, I, I can see it. I'm, 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 there's no question that there was definitely a lot of, a lot of prep work and I mean, very, very well probably, I mean, I'm sure he does thumbnails. I mean, that's just the way oh, yeah, comics yeah. are made. For sure. But, you know, these are not lines that have been drawn in pencil and or ink and then scanned in and then formatted on Photoshop. Like, it doesn't look that way. It's exactly, too perfect. Yeah. It's too clear. There's a consistent line width for everything. You know, it looks like a stroke instead of a line width, you know, yeah. or instead of a line. So, like I said, I, I think it could have started out as pencil. I think, actually, it could have been scanned and then put clean lines over in the computer. It's a sure. possibility. Like I said, I don't think that's the case no it's definitely vector art i mean it's Um, definitely vector art from beginning to end but who knows where that started whether it started out as vector art or whether you know you know whether you know he did sketches scanned it on and then worked the vector work through it you know you know on his site he says that his background is in in like you know illustration and graphics design graphics design and stuff like that and so that's you know very likely that he's very well versed at uh at using vector art you know obviously you know, the art in this comic is very strong, you know. I mean, so digital done skillfully, like in this comic, I feel it escapes that taboo of, oh, well, they just went straight to digital. Well, like, the I thing mean, about vector art that's hard is that you can draw a line. And if you use that, if you draw a line in a vector program, you can grab it and move it around like a rubber band. Yeah. And it's kind of like, 
where's the risk? Where's mm -hmm. the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, on a long enough timeline, you're going to probably adjust and fix lines less and less, but it's still kind of like, come on, you know, like yeah. you know, for the rest of us out here that are drawing in Photoshop or Manga Studio or Painter or whatever, it's like we draw a line. I mean, basically those of us that aren't using vector tools, you draw a line and, you know, the biggest bonus that you get on the computer is you can hit control Z and then try it again, but yeah. you got to draw the line, right? You exactly. can't massage it and fiddle with it. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest challenge for me to feel like vector art is really something that I can appreciate is that you can fiddle with it to such a fine-tuned level to get it really in alignment with how you have it, the image in your mind, and you don't have to be able to do it well the first time. You know, like I can remember being at a panel at uh, the Alternative Press Expo, and a couple of the Hernandez brothers were up talking about, or maybe just one of them, I can't remember which one, but uh, from the Love and Rockets, and they were talking about this very subject, and what he was saying is that it's become in vogue to you know, draw something, and then if it's not quite right, then you grab it and you free transform it on the computer and you move it around and you fiddle with it. And, and they're like, no, if you draw something and it's wrong, erase it and do it again. How else are you going to learn how to do it right? If every time you draw it a little bit not right, and then you can use your computer fancy magic to fix it, it's like you never actually have to learn to do it the right way. You know, it's like, you know, walking around in life with you know, elbow pads and knee pads, and, you know, you never quite learn how to walk because you just, just, when you fall down, there's no consequences. Exactly. You know, it's kind of like, so, I mean, like, I, I I definitely feel like I understand where he's coming from, and I agree with that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> who really cares? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you get you get so nitpicky, and everybody's, you know, everybody's, you know, you know, swinging dicks and just like, oh, I'm so tough and I can do this and that and I have all these chops and man, 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 who's bigger and better? And it's like at the end of the day, did you enjoy the comic? Fuck yeah. yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of this comic. And does it look good? Hell yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. Who cares what he does to make that? But it would be an interesting conversation to really spend a whole podcast talking about, talking about, you know, vector and computer tools and like kind of where to draw the line with what's reasonable and does it matter and it's a complex subject. We probably shouldn't open that can of worms towards the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, first of all, for the visual of people swinging dicks around. That's awesome. Um, but I just, I, whenever I think about that, I think of God, George Carlin's thing. It's like, my God's dick is bigger than your God's dick. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point that I was getting to in the end is that like, I don't think digital is as taboo as it used to be anymore, no. especially with like digital painters out there who do like the amazing things they do. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You couldn't do that unless you knew how to paint anyway. Yeah. Then that's uh, really what it's coming to. It's not people that are using digital as a crutch. People are using digital to like supercharge an already incredible skill set. Exactly. Our and friend so, Pinku is unbelievable with her digital painting. And you know what else? Her actual painting is pretty damn unbelievable as well. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just a different tool. The only difference <laughs> sucks for you, Dan. Is that like I got a friend, uh, Melissa McComb, who does a comic called Epic Chaos, and it's all all digital. And uh I throw it in her face all the time that I have original artwork to sell. <laughs> that's the only advantage, man. Yeah, that's but rough. That's keep rough. doing what you're doing because it's working for you. No, it is. It totally is. One last thing I wanted to say that I uh, really enjoyed about the the very just excellent art choices that Dan makes in the comic is that the kind of the action lines and the motion lines and you know some of the accents uh, are not done again, not done in uh, black ink, but often done in white and. It's cool because his images are so colorful. There's very rarely just blank white space. And so it would potentially dance with being a little congested if some lines were put on top of that. And so to do something so understated yet so clean... 
to choose, you know, when someone's jumping and there's some action lines or somebody's elbow is moving and there's sort of like those radiating like radio sort of signal lines that mm-hmm. just off that, sh- that kind of lend to that feeling of motion in a static image. Dan has made the choice, by and large, to use white for those instead of the common black. He's used black on a couple things where, like, the character is jumping into the air and it's a sunny day and he's, like, against a cloud or something like that. Because, obviously, white wouldn't show up on white. But, by and large, the color in the comic is so complete that the whole image has some kind of color on it that using the white to pull away for those kind of accents is really, really handsome and really understated, but still gets the point across. Almost to the point where you don't even recognize that it's there, but you get the feeling of motion. It's very neat. I think it's a clean. I mean, altogether, like, so clean. It's so, so clean. clean. It's it is the tux, it is a tuxedo of um, online web web comics. Oh, totally. Like it's 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 a very clean. It's something that other web comic artists can aspire to sort of get their style to reach. Especially vector artists. This is a particularly excellent comic when it comes to that. Yeah. Like that style, that look is. Un- I mean, it's so well done here. So well made. Because a lot of the time it is not real good, and they look like. Like little paper dolls yeah. <laughs> they have this sort of flat 2D look to them. And you can tell that they've got, you know, that they're just kind of bending them and posing them around and they're not redrawing it every time. And, you know, obviously reusing assets is one of the things that expedites things on the computer. So whatever. But it's, there's just something really so well made and so tight about this one that as far as vector art goes, this is probably some of my favorite vector art I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It, it's clean. Is I feel like the best word I can use to describe it. <laughs> yeah. It's so clean. clean. It's very clean. Right, well, uh, I think that about wraps it up for... The Samurai Boy. The Samurai Boy. Samurai Boy. Again, you can read The Samurai Boy at thesamuraiboy.com. Follow them on Twitter at The Samurai Boy and on Facebook.com forward slash The Samurai Boy. You can go ahead and like their page, which you should definitely, definitely do. Support them. This is a great comic. There's over 60 pages to read. He comes out with them two to three times a week. Sometimes as a Sunday special is the thing. So two days a week, and sometimes you get an extra one on Sunday. And it's just it's just a great comic. Dan, thank you so much for making this. We enjoyed the hell out of it. And I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to reading more as you move into the, the second part of Hiko's story. Samurai tween. Thanks again for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at panamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Just like Laura Hernandez did. I got an email from Laura the other day talking about how much she enjoyed listening to the episode and reading more of Melissa Pagliese's excellent comic, Above the Clouds, which you can find atcloudscomic.com. So good. So good. But I uh, just wanted to acknowledge Laura for giving us, a, giving us a zap and sharing some of her thoughts and opinions on the podcast. We really do love to hear from our listeners. Hey, Laura. So thanks again, and I look forward to hearing from anyone else who has something to say or suggestions. If you guys would like to suggest a good comic for us to talk about or anything like that or just want to chat, please give us an email at geeklife at pandamanga.com. Thanks, Laura. Anyone interested in becoming a Pandamanga contributor can visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. This is a good place to go if you would like to submit a comic or if you're interested in getting published on the website or potentially writing for the website. We're always looking for people who are interested in doing blogs and, you know, that kind of stuff, reviews, anything like that. Anything that we can do to make the site more robust and interesting. If you would like to be involved in any way, go to contact.pandamanga.com and complete that form. Music has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured in this episode are available on the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about AirPlus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is Marcus and his big brass balls. We'll see you next time.
ultimate Baka Supreme. Does that what is that a train? That was a train. Mm-hmm. Choo choo. In case you didn't know what a train sounded like, I wanted to make that double out. Thank for you for you. that. Choo choo.